0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Neer. On today's episode, we've got Dr. Brianna Gaynor, who runs the practice Peace of Mind Psychology, and also has a website, peaceofmindpsychology.com. I discovered Dr. Gaynor on Friend of the Pod, Culture and Conversations, uh, which is hosted by Jameson Smallwood. He actually had Dr. Gaynor on as a guest within the last month or two. Um, So definitely go check that episode out if you have not. Um, but Dr. Gaynor is, is out here advocating for mental health and trying to really debunk a lot of the stigmas surrounding mental health and, and, and seeking help with it. Uh, so I wanted to, to bring her on today as, you know, obviously on this show, we've talked a lot about dealing with, with grief and, and how to be more empathetic, um, had life coaches on the, on the show. And so I thought that the bringing Dr. Gaynor on would really kind of help fill in, you know, some of those gaps in, in all of that, um, As always, the music on today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you very much, Misha. And without further ado, let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Dr. Brianna Gaynor. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Um, you are a psychologist. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Okay. (laughs) I'm a
1: a clinical psychologist,
0: a clinical psychologist. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you have a a website called peaceofmindpsychology.com. And is that also the name of your practice? Yes. Okay. And how long have you had that practice open?
1: It's been five and a half years now.
0: Wow. That's a long time. That's good.
1: Yeah, I, it's crazy. Every time someone asks me and I say it I'm like, "Oh my gosh, wow. It has been for a while." <laughs> um
0: so you know, just to to kind of introduce you to my listeners, how did okay. you um how did you get started in this or when did you decide you wanted to work in mental health or and even maybe even more so, you know, become a psychologist?
1: So, very simple story. Um but maybe not so much. So, when I was In middle school people always ask me for advice and I don't know where I first heard about what a psychologist did or what a therapist did but I just associated with that and I was like oh I think I'll just be a psychologist that was as simple as it was Um, and I kind of continued that desire through high school and then I went to college and I had majored in psychology went to my first psychology class fell in love with it and stuck with it so yeah. It, and it's, and it's not really about giving advice at all. So that's not what it's about, but just had that idea in my head since middle school and continued on with it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty straight line to it then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and that you honestly touched on something that I wanted to talk to you about today. So we'll, we'll go there. Um, I, I, Something that so I've recently, in the last year or so, started really on this whole journey of, of kind of personal development. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that for me was was going and seeing a psychologist myself, um, and I really got a lot of value out of it. Um, she introduced me to the, the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that like what your practice is, is doing? Or I, I don't I don't know if that's kind of the standard, or if there's other ideas, or how that all goes.
1: So there are other ideas. There's several, but cognitive behavioral therapy is probably one of the most popular ones mm-hmm. Um, because it's very concrete. You're able to teach it to people, show people the connections, and it also works well with children. Um, Mm. Because what it talks about is cognitive, which are your thoughts, um, your behaviors and your emotions and how they're all interconnected. And the idea is about how you can change one and it kind of helps to change the other ones and how addressing each area can really help improve whatever symptoms you're experiencing, whether it be depression, anxiety, um, behavioral issues. So it can be used across a lot of different areas.
0: Yeah, so she introduced me to this book called Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mhm.
0: Yeah, so I I mean, I I've read I don't think I'm all the way through it. It's a it's a dense read, but um it's a I mean, I just found it to be a, an incredibly useful and helpful book and and I mean honestly something that I thought you know, even if a person doesn't think that they are suffering from, from chronic depression or anxiety or something. Like, I just think it's something that maybe everyone should read because Uh (laughs) there's just tools in it. And it seems like most of the, um, the tools that it has to help people, uh, you know, I guess do the cognitive behavioral therapy, like most of the work that it does really involves kind of writing out thoughts and, and, and doing a lot of kind of writing exercises. Is that, kind of where you find it or do you, what what kind of exercises do you find useful in in that that work?
1: Well, I think it's, yeah, I think the biggest thing is really about challenging your thoughts. So Mm. thinking about what you're thinking about, you know, we have over 4 million thoughts a day, so there's no way to stop the thoughts from coming But it's about realizing that you can be in control, not necessarily of the thoughts that come in, but of the thoughts that you allow to stay and linger. And if you can learn to reframe your thoughts and change the negative ones that are leading to a lot of negative emotions and negative behavior, it also helps you to feel better. So just what an important piece that plays just in our lives. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So almost, I mean, to some extent, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, being introspective. I mean, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, so something that you'd said a few minutes ago, though, was, was that, you know, when you were a kid, you, you found that you were good at and enjoyed giving advice and and decided that that was aligned with psychology only to kind of later find that that that's really not what it's about.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, can, can you elaborate on that a bit? Because that's a, a common sentiment that I hear as well when talking to people about seeing a counselor or a therapist.
1: Well, I think it's not I think, but um, mental health is not about telling you what to do. It's about guiding you to um, the places to help you make the best decisions. It's about helping you to discover those things, those challenges, those areas of life which may trip you up, which you may struggle with, helping you process how they affect you and learning different ways to be and function. But it's really about walking you through the process and it's a collaborative um, experience versus I'm telling you what to do and you do it. It's really about helping you kind of get to the realization and the understanding and helping you to do the work versus just telling you what to do because you know, you think about it when someone kind of tells you what to do and gives you all the facts, it's not as satisfying as when you figure it out on your own, because then you really have a stake in it. So it's really about guiding more than telling much more.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I've, I mean, obviously I'm a layman, so I don't have any expertise in it, but that's kind of what I've gathered as well is that I think there's a common sentiment that like, I think people's picture of what it is to see a counselor or therapist um, or, or a psychologist is to, to go to a room and lay down on a couch and then (laughs) tell people about your childhood and then they tell you the answers or something. And that's just, I don't think at all really what it is. It Um, Mm isn't. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's, and I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. I guess maybe television shows or something. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Because I think in the five and a half years I've had my office, I've maybe had someone lay on my couch once. That doesn't mean that people (laughs) don't lay on the couch. But I think one of the things I do notice is when people walk in, they're like, oh, the couch. So there's this huge perception of what this situation is supposed to be like. From television. If you think about it, if you have no prior experience, then what else do you lean on? So you're thinking of a shrink, they're sitting there writing things down, maybe saying, mm hmm, mm hmm. You're just talking about your childhood. Like there's all these preconceived notions about what it is. And therapy is really about working with you on what you need. So what it looks like for me is going to be different from what it looks like for you because it's individualized based on what you're needing and based on what you're going through.
0: Right. Right. Um, so, uh, 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 something that I have encountered, so I have, and I'm not going to you know, name the people. I don't want to put them on blast in that way, but I, I have some people in my life that, that struggle with, um, you know, anxiety and depression and, and those sorts of things. And, um, unfortunately they're in some cases not willing to seek
1: oh, professional
0: yeah. assistance. Right. Um, mostly because their sentiment is that they've done it before and the person didn't give them the answers. So they don't, they don't see the value. And yeah. I try to explain that like we've just discussed, that's not really the, the, the way it works. But, but so, you know, something I keep coming back to and something that's really emphasized in that feeling good book is, um, is just this idea of, of being empathetic um, for someone who's, who's going through those sorts of things. But I think as someone who is, you know, again, a friend or family member, and it's not really a caregiver per se, because it's not that invested, but mm-hmm. um, of someone who's going through something like that, it can be, it can be so challenging sometimes to understand um, what it is that you're supposed to say, because there, it, it seems like there's a kind of a fine line almost between being empathetic and then also like enabling someone to, mm. to, into behavior. Does that make sense at all? And I mean, do you, do you, encounter that
1: where people struggle with what to say to other people who may be struggling
0: yeah well and so like if if you know if someone's like oh you know the day is is terrible because it's it's cloudy outside today Mm -hmm. and it's like you know a natural reaction is like well you know we can't control the weather so we you know we don't have to be upset because of that but but then you know now, if, if let's say I was saying that to someone, well, now I'm doing exactly what <laughs> the trained person like yourself doesn't do. I'm telling them an answer and it doesn't work. It ends up they feel like they need to justify their position and, and it, it never results in them being happier. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it 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 feels like if you just agree with that sentiment, then you're almost again, almost kind of enabling, and, and maybe enabling is not the right word, but does does that make more sense?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 it does. And I think the truth is, with anything, there's, there's not really a always a right way to say things, or you're not always going to get it right. You know, I think, I think about it, like, when it comes to grief, I think that's probably the area I've realized that people can be the most insensitive. But mm. the truth is, people don't If you haven't been through it, you don't know what to say. So you don't realize you're being insensitive. So the truth is you won't always get it right. But one of the things I think is very valuable in that is, well, first of all, kind of knowing the person, right? So there's nothing wrong with saying, well, you know, we can't really control the weather, the answer that you gave and trying to give a different spin. But -hmm. if you notice that person is negative or that they're struggling, maybe just asking them what they need from you. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes... It's about just asking the question. I don't even think people consider that on both sides, but sometimes we just need to let people know what we need from them. And if Mm. we don't know what we need, maybe it gives us an opportunity to consider that. Mm. But I don't think you'll ever always get it right. And if we could take that pressure off ourselves, I think it would make it easier to just communicate with people and just ask simply, what what do you need from me? How can I help you?
0: Right, right, Mm -hmm. no, that makes sense. So another thing, you know, I, I, I know that, um, well, I guess another thing that I, I wanted to get to is it seems like right now um, someone seeking mental health treatment is, this is kind of a weird analogy perhaps, but kind of analogous to someone only going to do physical exercise or, you know, taking care of their physical body if they were going to physical therapy. Like it's only if they've identified a problem. Right, like really? physical therapy is only when you have a problem, mm-hmm. and it seems like people are only kind of seeking mental health when they have when they you know when they think they have a problem. But obviously, when it comes to our physical bodies, we understand largely at least that you know regular exercise and, and and going to the gym or going for a walk or whatever it may be still has a lot of value in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does it seem that 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 with, is that kind of where you would like to see mental health go to to a place where people or maybe talking with a, with a, again, a, a counselor, or a therapist, a psychologist, even if they're not experiencing an acute symptom in, you know, in that, that period of time. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
1: It does. It does. I think it's twofold. So obviously if you struggle with symptoms, because what makes a, what makes something considered a mental health diagnosis is when it starts to affect your functioning. So I'm mm-hmm. having anxiety and I'm struggling with sleeping or, working, I'm having significant depression and I'm having thoughts of wanting to hurt myself or I can't engage in the relationships I used to. So when it starts to affect your functioning, that's a mental health diagnosis. And so obviously that's an area where or a time when it would be important to seek mental health treatment. But also just when you're not knowing how to deal with stress, maybe you're struggling with sleeping or not making the best decisions or struggling with a breakup or any of those things where you're still able to function and do the things you need to do but it's just a harder time in life. And so what I'd like to see is when people are just having a hard time and not really knowing how to deal with it, they seek out the help because you don't have to be going you don't have to go for years and years, but just like if I have a cold and it lasts maybe more than a week, I'm going I'm going to go to the doctor, then why not let that be the same when it comes to mental health? just to get some extra support around whatever's going on.
0: hmm Well, and so I guess, because it's kind of ask you for a, a definition maybe, but so what? what is the difference between, because I keep using these words interchangeably, but that's probably an error, but what is the difference between like a psychologist or someone who's more of, of a, a counselor or a, a, a social worker type, or is that all similar?
1: It's similar. The difference is the... um degree that you have and also mm-hmm. your licensure. So for instance, a licensed counselor um, is someone who has a master's degree and, um, and, cl- and counseling. Okay. Whereas a licensed clinical social worker has their master's degree in clinical social work. So the, the work, the classes they've had to take can be a little different as is the program. But across the board, they're all having classes on Therapy on ethics, on working with um, families and couples versus individuals, but the licensed clinical social worker um, may have a little bit more training in how to utilize kind of social resources to work with clients. With a psychologist, we have um, a doctorate degree. So Mm -hmm. in addition to having those clinical and counseling classes, we have also been trained in how to do psychological evaluations which is basically an assessment of your functioning to see if there's a diagnosis and then what recommendations you may need. So that's an additional layer when it comes to the psychologist piece where we can do the psychological testing.
0: you know we I mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy and you were talking about how that's good for for addressing you know something like maybe depression or anxiety
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but what about you know I, I I don't know if it's fair to say more serious but maybe maybe um, diagnoses that maybe people aren't aren't as familiar with but something like a, a schizophrenia or, or okay. that sort of thing is that treatable by the same methods or does that go into a different a different area at that point?
1: It does go into a different area and depends on their level of functioning. So um, schizophrenia is one of those diagnoses that obviously you are having some kind of perceptual disturbance. So you are having delusions. So those are kind of. distorted thinking. So you're having ideas of things that may be going on that aren't accurate. So you're not really based in reality. So you're seeing things that aren't there, hearing voices. Um, There are other different hallucinations or different types of hallucinations that can go with that catatonic behavior. There's a whole slew of things that goes with schizophrenia, but basically it's about not being your mind, not being based in reality. So having a lot of ideas of what's going on, which is that are actually not going on. And so with schizophrenia, the important thing first and foremost is to be on the right medication because if you're not, we call it reality testing where you're aware of what's going on in the here and now. And if you don't have accurate reality testing, then there's not really a lot in terms of therapy that's gonna be effective until you're on the right medication. So yeah, there can be different um, treatment But something like that, you really need to be on a consistent medication regimen first, and then we can see what your needs are, and based on that, identify what type of interventions or treatment modality would be most appropriate.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that kind of tie. I was going to ask you also about. I mean, not that I'm trying to (laughs) pit one against the other, but it it sounds like they work in conjunction to some extent. But I was going to ask you about psychiatrists because that's Mm -hmm kind of the other side of the coin where it's yeah. less about therapy and more about, about different drugs. Maybe, I don't know if drugs is the the best Ooh, word. Medication. medication. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, different medication. So are, do you find that, you know, depending on the case, you may refer someone to a psychiatrist if, if that's maybe the direction it needs to go based on what their symptoms are?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I think of medication in a few different ways. There are some diagnoses who like schizophrenia, which is a great example where medication is needed to function. Um, In other cases, I think of it as, for instance, if a child has, has just been diagnosed with ADHD, while we know that there are medications for ADHD, there are other things we can do, for instance. In school, we can put in different accommodations to help the child. Things we know help children who struggle with symptoms of ADHD. So things like giving them extended times zone tests, um, putting them closer to the teacher so there's less distractions. We can do things like that. There are different um, nutrition changes that we can make. Um, making sure that we're keeping them active so they're getting some of that energy out. So there are a lot of different things we can do before medication. So in that case, usually I'm saying if we've done all this and we're still struggling and we need more, we can do medication. Or let's say it's significant. So someone is struggling with thoughts of suicide or they're about to get kicked out of school or they're having so many panic attacks that they can't even function then that's an area where, yes, we need to get some medication because this is an imminent struggle. And in some cases, the medication is long term and sometimes it's short term. So it just kind of depends on the situation. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely we refer. But it's not always my first line of defense, mm-hmm. but it just kind of depends on what's going on. Most cases, though, it's not.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, I definitely have. I I had a a family member one time who uh, went to a psychiatrist and and they put the family member on uh, several medications all at once. And I was kind of uncomfortable with that. Again, I'm not a a doctor, so I don't actually have any (laughs) credible knowledge on it, but it just seemed like a a significant change all at once. And so I asked them, um, well, what would be the plan for them to go back off of the medications? Like, what does that road look like? And that person explained that doctor explained that that it was kind of like how if a person wears eyeglasses, their eyes are always, you know, messed up or or messed up. I don't mean to say, but, you know, always work in such a way that they need corrective vision. Right. And and Mm -hmm. that that's probably a lifelong condition. And then in this case, it was, you know, chemical imbalances. And so that these medications would probably be lifelong medications Mm -hmm. uh, in order to correct those chemical balances. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I've also read and, and heard some things that, some of the research on chemical balance stuff doesn't really hold up. Do you have an a, an opinion on on that stuff at all?
1: Well, I, I think a lot of things are neurological, so it really depends. Sometimes mm. um so for instance, ADHD is is neurological in nature. So we do a lot of testing for ADHD. And in a lot of cases, there are different areas of your brain that tend to be affected and you struggle with more than others. It's not in every case because there are always outliers, but Mm -hmm. it affects your cognitive functioning. I think the same can be true for depression, for instance, Mm -hmm. but then it can also be related to significant grief or loss of Income or job, you know, so there can be situational, too. So I just think it really depends on the person. But I definitely think there is a lot of credibility to the idea that your neurological functioning, your um, neurotransmitters and how your brain functions can really affect how you feel as well, because everything in our body is so interconnected.
0: Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's, I, I mean, it's fair that, you know, nothing can be printed with, with a, a broad brush, right? There's nuance to, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. all situations. So. Exactly. Fair. Well, so I was looking, um, I was looking on your, your, your website,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: Peace of Mind Psychology. And um, I, I saw that you, um, while you're not a I guess a, a religious psychologist, I think is how you phrase it or, or something like that
1: uh-huh.
0: still do have some background with spirituality. And so sometimes if, if a patient is, you know, seeking that kind of, um, I don't, I don't want to say angle, but you know, maybe oh, they support.
1: want support. Here we go. Support.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can I mean can you can you kind of talk about that because that's something I think that a lot of people, you know, I'm from from Springfield, Missouri, which is considered the Bible belt of the Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know,
0: and so well there's a lot of people who are skeptical of things like psychology because they think that it it doesn't align with their faith. Yeah. Uh, so can you kind of talk about how you've seen those those two kind of meld together?
1: Oh sure. So I went so for my program for my doctoral program at the end of the 5 years the fifth year is your internship year so you are an intern <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're learning everything wherever the facility at your uh, the facility that you've been accepted into and you're full, you're basically full-time staff and so when I was on internship I was in Philhaven um at Philhaven Hospital which is in Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania which probably not a lot of people have heard of Um, And they had um, a track that they taught you how to do Christian based therapy. So that's where I got my training. So how to incorporate that. And Mm -hmm. I myself am a Christian. So really learning how to incorporate Christianity into therapy um, was what was really focused on during that year. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting because I think that there are a lot of stigmas related to mental mental health related to people just thinking that you have to be crazy or have schizophrenia to go to a therapist. And also when it comes to Christianity, also, also that you, that maybe mental health therapy is also not the way you should go because it should, it should just simply be about prayer. And so the way that I've seen, it works together for me and for the clients who have come and expressed a desire to have christian-based therapy is you get to see how god works in different ways so just like there are doctors that help us with getting better i think this is just another way that can be utilized another form of healing so healing comes in a lot of different ways and so i think helping clients see that it all works together so maybe this is a way for you to get your healing um, versus it happening instantaneously, because a lot of things in life, I think, are about the process. And we can kind of see that probably if we look over the examples of our life and that this is just another way of that can really disarm them. But I think that sometimes in churches, mental health is kind of is, is talked down to as if it doesn't relate with religion or with God. And I just think it's another way to help. Um, And the more you can talk about that, and for me, the more people have seen that I actually have the same beliefs as them, that makes them a little bit more comfortable in coming alongside and being like, okay, this is still something that aligns with um, my beliefs. And we can still incorporate that while talking about the other things that we can do just to help practically with helping your thoughts and your emotions and all those things.
0: So, you know, obviously, uh, we're recording this episode here. Today is March 23rd. So we are uh, right in the middle of the, the coronavirus yeah. pandemic.
1: Um, everyone's
0: on lockdown. I know, it's it's wild. It is. Uh, but, I mean, you know, I-, I had asked you before we were recording today if, if you know, if, if you were still available. Because I know, you know, things are crazy for people. And and, uh, and you said, you know, that yeah, that, that you did want to talk about, about this stuff today. Because, you know, maybe now... I don't know if more than ever is, is right, but, you know, now is a very acute time where people are feeling more pressure than they normally would. Um, so do you have any, any, you know, and, and again, I understand that things are, are nuanced and everyone's case is, is unique to them, but are there any kind of best practices that you have for people while they're finding themselves being in these more isolated conditions, especially people that live alone uh-huh. um, to kind uh-huh. of help, you know keep their spirits up or, or keep keep themselves in a mentally healthy place mm-hmm. during these times
1: mm-hmm. um yes it's interesting because you do this work a lot and you know what you tell people but when you're in the situation so i'll say for me i've really had to readjust myself too to okay how do i do this because i like working from home but i was not expecting this long stretch of working from home right, right? so that's different we all look forward to maybe having a day or two off, but when it's indefinite, that can be scary. So um, one of the things I think is important is what is kind of your daily practice for peace, um, for relaxation, to manage your anxiety just in general. There are so many things going on in the world, particularly related to this pandemic. Um, If you don't have something to ground yourself, it's important that you figure that out. So whether that be praying or religion or whether it be meditation um, whether it be listening to your favorite song, whatever it is that you can do to ground yourself, to make yourself feel good, to kind of escape everything that's going on is important. It's also important that you're aware of what's going on in the world, but don't inundate yourself. I've heard from more people and I've experienced it myself that I can watch the news because I want to know what's going on. But if it's on all day or even longer than an hour, I instantly start to feel anxiety. Like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it, it it's it's almost like a lot of these things are created, are like intentionally trying to create anxiety. So really limiting your exposure because it can make you feel like You have no choices, like this is the end of the world. And just like with a lot of different things, a lot of different illnesses that have happened, this too shall pass. There will be a day when we'll say, I remember when that happened. We don't know when, but just like everything else, things come to an end eventually. It's just a when thing. The other thing I would say is making sure that you're trying to stick to your schedule as much as possible. Um, So for me, one of the things that really helped me to relieve stress before I before this happened was exercise. And Mm. so not exercising was really a big deal for me because I was like, okay, I want to stay healthy. I want to feel good. I don't want to sit in the house and just eat all day. So Mm. making sure that I'm exercising or doing something physical, making sure that I'm taking care of my body. And then technology is amazing. So even if you live by yourself, if you're connected to people, Make sure you're video chatting with them. Make sure you're looking at people and having those connections, even if you can't have them in person, because that can also make a big difference in not isolating yourself. There's a lot of cool things like people are doing Netflix parties where you can watch Netflix together. There's a lot of different options that are out now to work through this isolation. So making sure you're taking advantage of those things and keeping Mm -hmm. productive too. So making sure you're feeling productive and doing things that you can take off your list to make yourself feel like you are doing something. And then relax, because again, this will be over. So taking time to relax and take care of yourself is going to be important because once work starts back and you're back at the grind, you're going to wish that you had (laughs) taken advantage of the time to relax. Sure. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I mean, so the kind of the themes that I'm hearing from that are, are you know, having, you know, ways to to kind of really, and this probably applies even outside of the the current circumstance we find ourselves in, but um, having you know social connections, having something that's a, a sense of purpose, and, and I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, <laughs> that you're going to take over the world or, or or be the the most famous or successful person ever, but just something that you, that you feel, you know, proud of, or, or, you know, a sense of accomplishment from doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then also relaxing is, is that, is that a fair Mm -hmm. assessment?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Self-care is so, I think, underrated and we're so used to going, 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 but there's something to be said for making sure that you're nourishing yourself and taking care of yourself, because then you have more energy to do those hard things and to deal with the stresses that have inevitably come with life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I, I, like I said, at the very beginning, I started, you know, kind of on this journey of personal development or so within the last, I don't know what it's been, eight months now, 10 months, I don't know, somewhere in there, not, not quite a year for sure. But, um, and that's, that's definitely kind of what I came to, to understand was that in order to, to more consistently feel better. And it's not, you know, a a perfect bulwark. I still, you know, I still am subject to (laughs) being down or being frustrated or whatever, just like anyone else. But, but at least to more consistently feel better, I just have to spend some time on a daily basis doing things specifically with the intent that they will make me feel better. Things like journaling and Mm -hmm. and for me meditating, Mm -hmm. um, but those sorts of things. So, Mm -hmm. so that makes Makes sense. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, um,
1: Oh, and can I say one more thing I just thought about? I think what's important too is how you start your day. So I Mm -hmm. notice a huge difference when I start my day with my phone and it's the first thing I'm looking at and then I'm looking at my feed, and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that. Or if I start my day with a sense of peace. So again, it can be meditation. It can be praying. It can just be being quiet and being still but when i start my day in the quietness and the stillness versus picking up my phone first thing it makes a huge difference and i think it sets a precedent for how the rest of the day goes either i'm kind of crazed and i'm all over the place or i'm pretty intentional and i'm able to do things and things that probably normally would have stressed me out don't so the way you start your day does set the intention so be very mindful of how you do that
0: yeah no i'm 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 really glad you said that because mm-hmm something that I've actually had to kind of <laughs> relearn. So when I first started my, my daily routine of things, it was in the morning. Um, but I have the the discipline of a two-year-old when it comes to <laughs> porn, right? so
1: yeah.
0: I stay up too late, but I still have to get up at the same time in the morning to, yeah. to go to work. Uh-huh. So I wasn't getting enough sleep. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to start. If I'm not going to go to bed earlier, then I'm going to start sleeping in later in the morning before work. So that way I'm getting more sleep. And I'll just do the routine at a later time in the day. And while I was still doing the routine, I found that it was hard to accomplish all the different steps of the routine that I've got. Um, uh-huh. It was consistent, and I found that it just—I just to what you just said—I just feel so much better if I do it before I start the rest of my day. Um, and I think part of it's also just kind of it, like for me at least, it it kind of gives me a sense of of. <laughs> accomplishment even though I mean, Uh it doesn't pay the bills for me to journal or meditate or go for a walk or something right so it's not accomplishment in in that kind of way but it it gives me a sense of of almost confidence of like I know that I've already taken time today to work on myself so Uh now whatever else comes I'm not going to feel like I'm behind because I've already I've already done that so um, I think that makes a lot of sense Uh Uh so you know, I've mentioned a few times your website, psychology dot com. Um, are you know, are there resources there that people can can check out, or do you have other recommendations for for maybe web resources, especially when people are kind of isolated at home now, um, to learn more about some of these uh, you know different therapy ideas or or you know just psychology and mental health in general?
1: So we do have a resource page, and on that resource page, um, we have different books and different workbooks that can help with different um areas of struggle so anxiety depression those kind of things um mm-hmm. but you bring an inter- interesting point up i have not updated it with any of these things just in terms of especially when it comes to um the coronavirus and just how to deal with that there's so much out there um mm-hmm. as we're talking let me see if i can find a resource but i think that that will be helpful so maybe what i'll do is I'll try to update it with some different mental health resources that are going on and update the page so cool. that when people see it, there'll be some additional resources on there.
0: Yeah. And I'll make sure and include, I mean, your website will be in the show notes.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so you're based in, out of the, generally the Atlanta, Georgia area. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: And so, I mean, this may be a silly question, but is it possible for people to to work with a, work with a a psychologist remotely, or is it something where really they need to find someone in their own local area to work with that they can physically go and and see?
1: So right now, one of the things that has been really great is because people are, um, quarantined or at home for the most part, a lot of businesses are closed. A lot of insurance companies have made it a lot more, um, made telehealth a lot more available. So there are a lot of telehealth sessions going on. So the answer to your question is yes, you can be seen remotely. Um, Mm. What tends to happen though, is unless the person you're seeing is licensed in your state, you generally need to see someone who is licensed in your state. So for instance, if you live in Georgia, you want to look for a Georgia counselor, or if it's someone in another state, they need to be licensed or have some kind of privileges to, to, um, practice in your state. So you don't have to worry about if they have privileges, but it will only be covered if they are licensed in your state. So that's important to make sure of, but in general, most people are doing telehealth for mental health. And there's been a big push for a lot of the insurance companies to, um, lift a lot of their sanctions so that we're able to do it. And it's been great because in the past. I'd say week. A lot of the places who, in the beginning of last week, were saying no, have said yes and really responding to COVID nineteen and trying to make services as um, accessible as possible.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that, and, and you know, something just a personal anecdote that I'll share that that a lot of people may not be aware of. I mean, it's something I didn't take advantage of for for several years. But you know, at my day job at a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually offer a employee assistance program mm-hmm. where you can call a, and it's, it's all anonymous. Well, I shouldn't say that it's anonymous. It's all confidential is what I mean to say. Um, so they don't, you know, you, you can call this hotline and, and you can talk to someone. And then if you would like to go see a, a professional, um, like at, through through my work, we actually had an opportunity to you could go see a professional for up to six sessions, and it was totally free and it was totally covered by you know the insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I get that insurances and in, in different offerings you know are not all identical, but my point is is just that if if someone out there is considering checking something like this out, you might check and see what your employer offers because that was something that was available to me that I just, I mean, I had heard of the employee assistance program, but I didn't fully realize the extent of, of what the offering was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was a great opportunity to be able to go see someone, um, and, and not have to worry about, you know, a large out of pocket cost or anything like that. Mm Um, kind of way to explore that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most insurance companies, um, especially if you're getting insurance through your employer. It's called the EAP program. It's definitely mm-hmm. available. So knowledge is power. A lot of times we have these insurance plans and we really don't know what they offer. So mm-hmm. take the time to call and see what benefits you have. Do I have mental health? You'd be surprised. A lot of this can be paid for or cheaper than you think. And then you can at least have a chance to try it out and figure out if it could be something that could be helpful. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: i so shout out to, to Jamison Smallwood and the culture podcast. Um, I heard you, he had an episode with you, which is how I found out about you. Um, and I was just, I I was just really moved by, by the episode you had with him. And, you know, there's a a celebrity that I don't know if you're familiar with or not. He he goes by Charlemagne, the God, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. but he
0: wrote a book within the last year or two called anxiety or no shook ones, anxiety, playing tricks on me. Um, which is all about his experiences with, with mental health. And he's really advocating that people, you know, not hide it and, and not feel ashamed of it. And instead go seek the help just like you would if you had a physical ailment. Um, uh-huh. And then
1: you,
0: NBA players, Kevin love to, to name one that comes to mind immediately that that's openly discussed his, his challenges with it. Um, and so I just, I think we're in a place now in society where people from, you know, the celebrity culture and, and all walks of life are really starting to to be more open and promote these ideas, and I felt like that's what you were doing as well. So I was really excited to to try and get you on and do my small part to <laughs> to try and help promote this stuff because I think it's um, I think there's only upside to it. I don't think there's any risk in seeing a mental health professional, um, and there's only only positive to be gained from it.
1: Yeah, I, I I totally agree. So I'm so excited that you've reached out too because my passion is to try to debunk this mental health stigma. And so I don't I do know who Charlemagne the God is. I grew up in New Jersey, so okay. just New York and Wendy Williams and all of that. I, I'm very um, aware, and it it excites me to hear public people talking about mental health because I think the more we can do that, the more you see people. Who look like you or who you admire, um, who had this platform talk about mental health, the more it normalizes it. And that's what we need. Normalizing this as just another thing that can help in life. And a lot more people would be in a lot better places. I'm sure we could all think about family members or friends or just people we know through life who probably had something that they never quite got help for. And it kind of had them stuck. I have several family members who I could name, you know, so really not letting that be our story and being okay with getting help in whatever capacity for whatever you're struggling with is really important. And it's really important um, message that I just want to continue to get out there. So I'm so grateful that you reached out and that we had this opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well. Dr. Brianna Gaynor, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Again, peaceofmindpsychology.com is the website and there's great resources there and she's going to be updating with even more. Um, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Dr. Brianna Gaynor, for joining. As always, thank you again to Misha Zarens for providing the music. Again, you can find more information about Dr. Brianna Gaynor's practice and information and just some great resources over at peaceofmindpsychology.com. And that's peace spelled like, you know, like war and peace, P-E-A-C-E. Um, we'll also have the link in the show notes so you can you can find it there. Uh, unrelated to, to the episode, but if you enjoy The Walk Show and like long-form conversations, I suggest you check out Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a show I co-host with Brett Lindley. Similar to The Walk Show, we have long-form conversations. Uh, however, it's, instead of being about all of life like The Walk Show is, it's all about video games and, and really why gaming matters. So, As opposed to just news and reviews, we also talk about um, just the emotional connections that we have to gaming and, and you know why we think it's important. Either way, again, I appreciate the listen. Hope you have a great week. Stay out.